Hi, my name is Johanna Paiva, and I'm a deaconess here at Old Hickory Boulevard, where I attend with my husband, Luke, and my four young children. Today, my job is to share with you what I've been learning these past weeks about 1 Peter, chapter 1, and the first half of chapter 2. Our topic for today is hope in Christ, and I want us to specifically look for three things as we walk through this scripture today. The hope that we find in knowing that He chose us for this path, we are not alone, and He holds us up. This portion of scripture is known as the Epistle of Hope. So I hope that as you study along with us these next weeks, your heart and mind will be renewed through his word and through his great hope. As a historical note that I found encouraging, this book is written by the Apostle Peter. And while some have questioned whether a fisherman could have composed these letters, scholars agree that it's been 30 years since Peter was the uneducated fisherman. So he most certainly could have grown to this degree which brings a great deal of hope to me, seeing how the Holy Spirit meets us in our weakness and gives us strength to grow. So our study guides for this week have these passages printed out, both in the ESV and a sweet study tool of the message next to it. If you haven't read this passage yet, I encourage you to push pause, take a couple of minutes, and just read through these verses. Peter opens this passage by referring to God's people as elect exiles. There's so much sobriety and so much hope in that phrase. God chose us for this path that we are walking, which means in our suffering, someone knows what's going on. My husband spent a decade in law enforcement doing SWAT, undercover, patrol, and working with federal agencies. His first day in the squad car, the first call of the night, he was dispatched to a robbery in progress at a popular restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama. And then the call was quickly updated with, and they just shot the manager. Luke said his first thought was, man, someone should call the cops. In difficulty, don't we all want someone bigger than us with more expertise to know what's going on and to help us? Praise the Lord, he tells us here in verse 3, that elect exiles are called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. He has called us to this path, and it matters. Verse 3 tells us that according to his great mercy, we are called to a living hope. So now we know he's called us for this, and it matters. Every suffering matters. Every kindness matters. Nothing is wasted. As John Piper says, every millisecond of your life is doing something. Just as our muscle fibers break down and tear as we exercise and then knit back together when we feed them and rest them, our breaking down through suffering matters, and he will restore us and build us back up together stronger in him if we lean in. When I was 13 weeks pregnant with our fourth baby, Grace, um, a placental abruption landed us in the ER to see if she was alive and if she would be able to survive. Um, as Luke and I waited for the doctors to give us the news, I asked Luke why, and Luke said, I don't know, but I know God is good. If we don't know why we're suffering or what's going to happen, it's a comfort and a source of hope to know that God is good and he does have a plan for us. Do you know what the ESV Bible study notes say the central exhortation of the book of 1 Peter is? Trust and obey. When we don't know which way is up, we can just start with the basics. He is good. We can trust him. He has a plan. We can just obey the plan. He is with us. He holds us up. Verses 3 and 6 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice, now though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of that song, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Our hearts will choose to say, Blessed be your name. Every time we sing that song at church, especially during that hard-fought pregnancy with grace, that phrase catches in my throat, and I have a millisecond wrestling match with God. I don't want to say the part he gives and takes away. Even if I'm believing this first point, if he has called us to this path, I don't always know if I want to walk the path that he has called me to. I'd like to review it first and cross out the parts I don't want to follow and rewrite the painful parts of it. But it's like in labor. I can remember my first labor being kind of shocked and trying to lean away from the pain. But after kind of resisting it for a bit, thinking at a certain point, well, this is clearly going to happen one way or another. Do I want to be angry about this pain and tense and resisting, which is only going to bring more pain? Or do I surrender to the process, to the course before me? And surrender, ironically, is what progresses the birth process, bringing progress and relief and goodness. But in this world, there will be trials. And praise the Lord. He tells us here in verse 3 that according to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again into a living hope. Can you think of anything more encouraging than the phrase living hope? When we feel alone in our suffering, how comforting is the truth of God being our living hope? Friends and couples that Luke and I have walked with in personal or marriage struggles, who we then refer to Dr. Stewart at Hope Ministries or Kathy Kuhn at Clearview Baptist or Megan Croft in Brentwood for counseling, they all have one thing in common when they tell us how it went. What we always hear afterward is, I don't know what's going to happen, but for the first time in a long time, I have hope. That's what God's truth gives us. It doesn't take away all the pain, but it gives us a way forward. I remember being given a personality test in high school as a part of college prep, and the wonderful person reading my results made the observation that people of my personality type appreciate having a light at the end of the tunnel. And I can remember being surprised that that was specific to any personality type. We all need hope. And there are two meaningful places that we receive that hope, in his word and from his people. We need him and we need each other. So much hope comes from not being alone. He knows the pain we are experiencing. He is not unable to sympathize with our struggles and he is with us through them all the way to our unfading inheritance. Verse 11 refers to the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories that produce an unfading inheritance. In a world when so much, where so much is uncertain, what an encouraging promise. And then verse 13 there is a call to action telling us to prepare our minds for action. Being sober-minded, set our hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So how do we prepare our minds? We read his word. We speak the truth to ourselves, even in pain and suffering. A friend from Bible study here who's a counselor and an adoptive mom told us when we were all young moms and our babies were crying a lot, that a baby crying is the sound of hope. It's a belief that someone cares and will come. And that at a certain point in some orphanages, there is no more crying, since there is no hope for being picked up. But we always have hope. When we cry, he is always there. Pain and loneliness without hope goes silent. So cry out when you're in pain. God hears you. He is near to the brokenhearted. He sustains us and he holds us up in our weakness. And so let's feed our hope. Let's read his word. Let's let him comfort and sustain us in our suffering. Ask your Bible app to read his word to you. Order CDs off Amazon with James Earl Jones reading the Bible and play it while you sleep like our little boys do. Leave your Bible open on your counter and just read a verse, even the same verse, over and over as you walk by. Tape a verse to your mirror. 
leave a Bible on your dining room table and read it at the table as a family when you can. Just give yourself access to the hope that is in him, the depth of which cannot be found anywhere else. In verse 14, he exhorts us, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Before we knew the Lord, we didn't know better, but now we do. And he has called us as new creations to be holy. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't done here. He went before us in being holy, and he calls us to follow. It reminds me of how in the Marine Corps, the non-commissioned officers, they get a red stripe down the side of their uniform pants to remind them that good leaders go first down the path of bloodshed. Jesus went first. He showed us the way. He is the model for our suffering. He has shown us what it is like to take up the cross. All we have to do is follow that example in all of our imperfections. Verse 21 tells us he died so our hope would be in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. These promises last forever. Our reward for suffering lasts forever. This is fleeting. 10,000 years are like a day, and a day is like 10,000 years. I ran the National Marathon the year before I had my first baby, the only one I've ever done. It was challenging and filled with pain and unusual heat and vomiting, blisters, um, and at the turnoff for the half marathon, I really wanted to turn off in some ways. But all that training, I wanted to finish. I knew the pain of that marathon in the scheme of things was fleeting. But the satisfaction of finishing the path would be something I could always hold on to. It was a hard path, but ultimately a good one. My goal was to finish the race set before me and move through the pain along the way. I finished. Not in the same condition, like, kind of like the lyrics. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. This world is fleeting and we need each other. So Peter urges us in chapter 2, verse 1, put away all malice and envy. I love how Peter says this like it's an actual option. He's acknowledged those things are there. We have them, and we can put them away. We can pack it up. That's hopeful to me, especially right now. And then chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us um, to do these things if we have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted it? I bet you have. Can you remember that taste right now? If you're in a stage where you can't, and we've all been there, I encourage you this week to go for a walk on these fall mornings and breathe in the new morning air and ask God to remind you, to remind me, to remind us what his goodness tastes like. If we can remember his goodness in the past, we can pre-remember his goodness for our future. We can be alert, watching for it, like watchmen and women at the watch posts of our life. God's word tells us the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. Bad news, Satan. CPC is going to be on the watchtowers, watching for God's goodness, tasting and seeing his goodness in our lives. So it's not going to be easy to find somebody here to devour this fall. And if our eyes are in his word and watching for his goodness and hope, we will find it. Those are prayers God loves to answer. God is holding us up. He is there to comfort us. And it's storing and building up something so wonderful for his people. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like the living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. For as it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you know what that means? He is the cornerstone, and we are the living stones he's talking about, being stacked together in a testimony of his goodness. Like the stones of an Ebenezer that Moses stacked to remember God's goodness in the, with the, to the Israelites, 
We are the living stones of remembrance of God's goodness. CPC and Nashville, let's stand close to each other, leaning on each other in stones of remembrance of his goodness together, standing tall so others will see and know our great hope in him. Sometimes I feel pretty small or like a pretty leaning stone. So praise the Lord, I have my four group to lean on and common ground stones to lean on. And praise the Lord, Jesus is the cornerstone that holds us together. When you feel like a small stone, please read verses 9 and 10 here. You are a chosen race. It's not an accident. A holy nation. We're in this together. And out of darkness to proclaim his goodness, we're anchored in him. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have. Go in great courage today, knowing that this life is not an accident. We are in this together, and he holds us up. Praise the Lord.